Doing good? Well, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. My name is Peyton Rogers. Like Van said, I serve here as student pastor, and we are stoked to see you here this morning. Pastor Travis wanted to make sure that I told you he is not here because he needed a break from you. Um, he said he was getting a little worn out and that he needed to get away from you. So I'm just kidding. He's not really, he's not gone for that reason. He is on a trip with his son. They went to Nashville, saw a concert, and they're heading back this week. I mean, they're heading back today, tomorrow, and they had a great time. He'll be back with us next week. But to open us up, I want to share a little bit of story from my childhood for you. Um, just kind of, you know, warm the waters, test the waters here. And so if you rewind back 15 years, I'm 21 years old now. If you rewind back 15 years, I was six years old, and it's my first day of school ever. First day of first grade, and I'm stoked to be there. I got the brand new Scooby-Doo backpack. I got the Scooby-Doo lunch pail to match. I got the new Nikes, and I'm walking in like I'm hot stuff. Like, I'm about to make some friends. Everybody's going to like me, and I look good. And so I walk into the classroom, and as I walk into the classroom, I'm like already overstimulated. But I scan the room, and I look in the back right-hand corner. There's an angelic light shining on this girl. And I'm like, well, that's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life, in my six years of life. Um, like, I've never felt these feelings. Like, there's butterflies flying in my stomach. And uh, so that crush begins right there and lasts till I'm in eighth grade. Uh, did I act upon that crush at all? Nope, not really. But eighth grade, we get there, and I take my first moment of action in this, right? Kind of, I guess. I was, you know, girls have cuties, or I just didn't know how to talk to them, one or the other. And uh, so we get to eighth grade, and my sister's a really good dancer, and so she won this contest, and we got to go to the Rockettes for it, and she won some extra tickets. And because, if you don't know what the Rockettes are, there's some dance group that they kick really high, and they're from New York City. That's about the consistency of what I know about them. And, uh, and so we're at this, so we get to this point where she's got to give the tickets away because because she's too young or whatever, some rule, she can't have her friends go, so I get to invite mine. So my mom comes to me and says, Peyton, why don't you invite Chloe? And I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds great. As my heart begins like pounding my chest, just the thought of engaging in conversation makes me terrified. And, uh, and so I finally get up the courage to pull out the phone book and look her, yeah, because the schools back then, we got the phone numbers of all your friends. It was kind of cool. But I pull out the phone and I do the whole, every, the classic movie. I get on the phone, and I'm like, hey, Chloe. Hey, Chloe. Chloe! Chloe, how you doing? Right, I go through all of them. And so I finally get the courage, and I call her. And it, ring, ring, ring. She picks up, click. I was already done. I was like, nope, nope, don't got it. And so then I work the courage back up again and call it again. Ring, ring, ring. Hello, this is Chloe. Because that's what she sounded like. Hello, this is Chloe. Click. I'm like, she actually picked up the phone. That wasn't supposed to happen. It was supposed to go to voicemail. Oh, gosh. All right. So then I work it up again, and I finally get the nerves to call her. I'm like, ring, ring, ring. Hello, this is Chloe. Uh, uh, this is, this is, uh, I'm, I'm Peyton, um, and I'm, uh, you want to go to the dance with me at the Rockettes? I mean, do you want to go, the Rocket, uh, the Rockettes are coming to town. You want to go to dance with me? There's a limousine and free food. Please come. And she's like, uh, let me talk to my mom. Oh, okay, okay. Bye. I'm like, all right, well, I'm never getting a call back again because she just said I'm going to talk to her mom. I thought that's classic, like, oh, uh, let me think about it. Um, and so I get the call back, and I'm like, what up? Either she, she's probably just got the guts to tell me no. And I answer, she's like, hello, Peyton. Yes. Uh, I can go. Great. Click, because I didn't want to ruin it. If I said anything there, she might be like, actually, you know, uh, I don't want to go anymore. And so 
now we're, now we're fast forward to the day. So the day comes and I'm terrified. Did I talk to her that week? Because I called her the weekend before. Did I talk to her that week? Absolutely not. Um, I, I think I maybe looked at her and that's about all. And so we get, we get to the day that it happens and we're going to the show and they meet us there. And so I go out and get, get them because they, oh, them. We had two tickets. I invited one of her friends to, you know, help calm herself or like, Make it not feel so terrible being with Peyton. And so um, we walk into the room. I'm like, our seats are inside, like they'd be anywhere else. And so we walk to the seats, and we go, and we sit down. And it was set up to where the last three seats on the end were like our seats, and then my family and everybody else was on this side. And so um, instead of being smart, Peyton, and sitting between both girls, I sat next to my grandpa because that was comfortable and uh, let them come and sit. And you know who sat next to me? Not Chloe, the other girl. And so I didn't even get to sit by the girl that I, you know, was trying to bring in this whole thing. And so the show goes on. I didn't watch much of it. I was too nervous and didn't know how I was going to engage in conversation in the next 15 minutes. And so we get out and we go get in the limousine and I change into my third shirt of the night because I sweat so bad. And we get in there and we go to Spaghetti Warehouse, in which doesn't exist anymore, sadly. But in the middle, there was a trolley and you could, your whole party could sit in the trolley. And so this was terrifying because it wasn't a big, long table where I could talk with my parents and everything. I sat at the table, and the two girls sat in front of me, and it began. I didn't say anything. Um, and the drinks come, and then finally I work up the nerve to ask the question that felt right in the moment. I said, what's up? And after about 10 seconds of that terrible conversation, uh, I was back to the same place. And I look over to the corner to my dad, and I'm like, what do I do? I don't know how to conversate with the other kind. Tell me, please. And he looks at me like, that a kid, you got it. And I'm like, that's not what I need. And so because I wasn't engaging with them, they began engaging with their phones. So I went to my phone and texted my dad, what do I say? And he's like, just be yourself. Like I, in school, I always got in trouble for talking all the time. Like I got demerits all the time for talking. And so it wasn't a hard thing for me to talk, but it came to this moment. I had no idea what to say. And so he's like, just be yourself, talk, like hang out with them. And so I didn't do that. Um, I didn't say another word. I said the longest sentence of the night when we, get, we, we went to go drop them off. And I said the longest sentence, I said, bye, hope you had a great time, see you Monday. And that was the longest string of words I said to him the whole night. And so I look back on that even a couple weeks later. And now I look back and go, hey, you blew it. Like, you had a crush on this girl from first to eighth grade, and you blew it. Like, you had the advantage, you got to take her on a date, whether or not her mom made her go. She said yes, and she showed up. She didn't blow you off. And so you had, the, you had her there, and you did nothing about it. Like, you blew it. And so as I look back on this, I begin to think, like, my dad was right. He told me, hey, you got this. Just be yourself. If I would have been myself in that moment, then I could have begun to engage conversation. Who knows where it would have been? But I didn't. And see, so many times in our own lives, you probably have a Chloe moment. Maybe with a guy and a girl, probably. A guy or a girl. But also just in the fact that you gave up on something, or you didn't pursue something, or you didn't seek after something because you felt unqualified. In that moment, I didn't think I was supposed to be with Chloe. I was like, this is the most popular girl. I shouldn't be sitting in front of her. This is a girl I've liked for eight years. She shouldn't be with me. Like, we've been eight years, and she doesn't even know I like her. So... In that moment, I felt unqualified. All these feelings made me feel unqualified. And a lot of times we give up on things in our lives because we don't feel qualified to be in that place. And so today, what we're going to be looking at is how God, when he chooses you, when he shows you, when he gives you a calling, you are qualified to be in that place. And so when we look at today, we're going to be looking at unqualified yet chosen. If you'll pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. 
God, thank you for all that you do for us. God, thank you that you give us a hope and a calling. God, speak through me today. Let it not be my words, but yours. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So today, where we're going to be following is in Judges chapter 6 and 7. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'm going to give you a little backstory of what's happening. So right where we're going to start is in verse 12. But what happened up to that is Israelites did something bad. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so because of that, they're being punished, just like when you were little, if you got in trouble, you got spanked or grounded or something taken away, they're being punished right now. And so how God punishes them is they gives them over the Midianites, and they are currently being held captive for seven years at the time that we're about to step in. And so that's where we're at. So if you look at Judges 6 and 12, it says this. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why have all these... Why has all this happened to us, and where are all the miracles our ancestor told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? And too many times I feel like we ask questions like this. Like we doubt what the Lord is doing. We begin to ask, like, God, if you're here with us, then why is our nation falling apart? Why are we, why are we so not unified? Um, if, if, you, if you're here with us, then why is my family struggling so much? Why do we have these financial issues? Why do we feel like we're going to separate? Why are these things happening? Where are you? I thought you were here at the beginning of it. Or in our own lives, our lives feel like they're out of control and begin to question, why am I in this place, God? If you truly care for me, then why am I here? And this is kind of where Gideon is at right now. This is how he feels. And then the Lord tur- turns to him and says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites, I am sending you. So in verses 12 through 14, we see that God says, he calls a mighty hero. Like, what a way to start a conversation with the Lord. He calls you mighty hero. You know you've done something right. Um, He says, mighty hero. And then he said, the Lord says, go with strength you have, I am sending you. And so the Lord right there says, you are equipped and you are called. He's given him a calling. He knows what he's supposed to do. And he says, you're equipped to do it. I'm calling you mighty hero. And I want you to go and take over the Midianites and I'm gonna be with you. He's equipped and called. And then we see where Gideon comes in with an excuse, just like we do so many times. We try to churn from what God has called us to do, try to churn from what God has put in our lives, what he's told us in the scriptures, because we try to make up excuses. And Gideon says, but Lord, never start a sentence with the Lord with that, because it never works out in your favor. But he says, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. And so right here, Gideon is having his own Chloe moment, right? Just like my dad said, hey, you've got this. You can do, you can do it. You're, you're qualified to be in this position. Gideon, in the same way God had told him, hey, listen, you're qualified. I've equipped you, but he didn't feel qualified. He was letting three things hold him back. He was letting his past, his family, and his self-perspective. And we look at our own lives, a lot of times, these are the same reasons that we feel like we're not qualified to be where we're at. We say, you know what, with my past, what I've done, what I've been through, who, who, who I've been around, whatever it may be, with my past, God can't use me. He can't overcome the things that I have done. He can't use me for what I've been. Or maybe it's the family. You feel like your family has always been rejected or your family was never unified. They, your parents separated. And so because of that, you feel neglected or you were the family who lived off the government and everybody labeled you for that, that you're just the poor family. Or that you try to say, where I came from, nobody was successful, so I can't be successful either. God didn't use anybody in my family, so he can't use me. And we try to use the labels that people put on us because of our family, because of where we come from, define us instead of what God says we are. 
Or maybe it's the end where Gideon has this part where his self-perspective is way off. He's saying, I'm not qualified for this. I don't have the talents. I don't have the gifts. Like, you don't need me. You pick the wrong person. And even though God says that he can do it, he doesn't believe in his own self that God picked him, but he can't cope with that. He can't say that I'm qualified to be there. And many times we let our past, our family, and our self-perspective hold us back from doing what God has called us to do. But we've got to come to a place where we can shift the lens and we can say, all right, I'm going to look through the lens of what God has done for me rather than what people say I am and what I say I am. I'm going to do what God, I'm going to, I'm going to believe what God says I am because I'm all that he says I am. Everything that he calls me, everything that he says about me, I am that. I'm not what the world says. I'm not what they say. I'm not what I, what I try to tell myself, what Satan tries to put in my life. I'm not that. I'm what he says I am, and I'm all that he says I am. And so we've got to switch the lens from where we're looking at, here's what God has done for me, instead of what the world has done for me. And we begin to do that, we begin to see things switch in our lives. And so he has to overcome, just like us, we have to overcome dealing with feeling unqualified because of our past, our, self, our family, and our self-perspective. But you might be saying, Peyton, you could say all that, but how do I do it? Like, how am I qualified even though all these things are holding me back? How am I in that place? And so what we're going to be looking at today is how God makes us qualified. He doesn't call the qualified. He, call, he qualifies the called. And so we're going to be looking at that today. And the first thing that, qualify, that we're qualified through is faith. That's what we're qualified through. See, Christ, I mean, God said, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son to die for you so you can have a relationship with me so I can give you a hope and a calling. And when we place our faith in him, right then we're qualified. We're qualified to do what he's called us to do. We're qualified to be in that position because we've said, I'm surrendering my life to you, Lord, so work in me. And so when we look at Gideon, Gideon is shown, God shows him that his faith is all that he needs. And the first thing that God calls him to do in verse 25 of chapter 6, he says, I want you to go get this bull and then go, go chop down the Asherah pole. That was, a, that was a false idol that they would worship another god. He says, chop down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on the hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar. And then, this is kind of funny, or it's kind of like a slam to the false god. He says, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you just cut down. And so right here, God is saying, all right, for you to completely place your faith in me, I need you to remove and replace some things in your life. I need to remove what's holding you back from following me uh, with everything you have. I need you to remove the things that are pulling you back. Remove the things that are holding you back. Remove the things you're not surrendering completely to me and replace them with me. See, we've got to come to a place where we realize that we don't need these things that the world tries to tell us. We don't need to be fulfilled by them because they're not going to fulfill us. It's not until God becomes our everything that we realize what he can truly do in our lives. And so the first thing that God calls Gideon to do is to remove the things that are holding him back. Because so many times we want to say, here, God, I can give you this because that's easy. But, man, i got to keep this in my control. I'm comfortable where I'm at here. And we don't fully give everything to him. And so Gideon, he's got he's to come to a place where he has removed and replaced the things in his life. And then he can begin to follow the calling that God has given him. And so right then we see that Gideon 
is to build an army, to, to, to bring an army together. And he brings 32,000 people, which is a lot. That's a lot of people. Brings 32,000 people together. But then we look at Judges 7, verse 12, and we see that it talks about how they go look at the people they're about to take over, the Midianites, and they're looking in a valley. As they look down, it says that the men are like swarms of locusts, far too many to count. That the, that the camels are like grains of the sand. You can't even keep the number in your head. And so they, they, they see these people, and scholars in some of the translations will say that it was 100, around 135,000 people. So that just makes your 32,000 men army look really small. Like Gideon already has to have faith because he's got to walk into a place where he's saying, all right, I got to kill four guys before one guy kills me, as well as every single one of my other men in my army. That's you got to have a lot of faith that you can walk into that and conquer that, that people group, conquer that army. And so God says that's not enough. And so he tells, he tells Gideon, I want you to go to the army and say, hey, whoever is timid and afraid, you can leave the mountain and go home. So right then, 22,000 men say, this ain't, I ain't about this, and they, they up and leave. Gideon is now left with 10,000 people. So if you look at the ratio, he's now got to kill 13 and a half men, however you want to work out the half. He's got to kill 13 and a half men before he dies, as well as every single one of his other men. That's a large army to take over with 10,000 men. But God says, hey, listen, that's, I want you, I, you need to shrink it some more. And in verse 7, I think this is humorous, but in chapter 7, verses 5 through 6, it says, when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, hey, divide the men into two groups. And the one put all those who cup the water in their hands and lap it like dogs with their tongues. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. So neither one of these are looking too delightful. Either one, the head is like buried in the water, like trying to take it all in. And the other one, they're laughing like dogs. So it's weird. They're very thirsty at this moment. But it says that only 300 men drank from their hands and laughed like dogs. And all the other men got down and stuck their mouths in the stream to drink. And he said, I want you to take the 300 men. So Gideon at this place is like, God, what in the world are you thinking? Like, you want me to take... I mean, because now the ratio is really skewed. Like, 450, he's got to conquer 450 men per person in his army. Like, that's a big army to overcome with 300 people. So he's at a place where, God, what are you doing? God, I don't understand what your plan is here. I don't understand why we would go this way, why this would be the way you would go with. Why don't you just give me more men so we can overconquer them? But God wants to bring him to that place where he realizes that he's got to surrender everything to God. And let the Lord work through it. And so we see at this place, Gideon is at a point, and we, we fall into this sometimes in our own lives. When we're walking in faith, and God, we're walking in the calling God has placed on our lives, but it starts to get hard. The world starts to pull at us, telling us we're doing the wrong thing. Or situations arise where we feel like, maybe this isn't the right thing for me. Maybe this isn't what God has called me to do. And it starts to pull us away, and we need some reassurance. We're right here, Gideon's at a place where he needs some reassurance. And so God comes to him in verse 9 of chapter 7, and it says, That night the Lord said, Get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have already given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack... Go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eagerly to attack. And so what we can see is that a lot of times in our own lives, just like Gideon here, what he couldn't see is that God was already had his hand in this. God was already working his plan. God was already doing things, but Gideon couldn't see because he could only see the here and now. He could only see that he's really confused with having only 300 men. And so many times in our lives, that's where we're at. 
God gives us a calling, but we're in the midst of a storm or midst of a trial, and we can't see through the other side. We don't know what God's going to do. But when we step on that other side, just like we're about to see with Gideon, when we step on the other side, we can look back and go, yeah, God, you were working your plan already. I didn't see it. I didn't understand it in the time, but your plan was being worked. And we can look back and say, God, you're the only one I can be, that can be glorified right now. And so at this moment, he realizes that the Lord is already working his plan. Far before he even goes to take him over, far before he's even going into battle, the Lord is already working his plan. And we see in uh, following up in verses 15 and 16, so Gideon gets a dream. So right after he goes and views the camp, he also receives a dream. The Lord reassures him again. And so he wakes up from this dream, and it's interpreted, and then from there, he returns to the Israelite camps and shouts, get up! The Lord has given you victory over the Midianites already. And so then he divides the three, 300 men into three groups of 100 and gave each man a sword, a shield, and a spear. No, no, he didn't. Here's what he gave him because this is, it's like the Lord is really just want to show people, listen, you trust in me. It's going to be crazy, but I'm going to come through. He says it gives him a horn, a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. So his three items are a ram's horn, a, a piece of pottery, and a torch. And I was reading a commentary, and I found it really funny. I, when, it, when it talked about this excerpt down and below, it said, these were very unlikely instruments of war. I'm like, duh, these are still unlikely instruments of war. And this time, like, this isn't likely. And so it's crazy, and Gideon has to come to a place where he's at his most vulnerable time to realize who the Lord really is. See, he's got no army. 300 men aren't going to be able to overtake 135,000. He's got no weapons. These men aren't even, they don't even have weapons to fight with. He has nothing. And at that point, he begins to shift to realize that though he has nothing, he has everything he needs in the Lord. He doesn't need the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of men to conquer these people. He doesn't need that. What he needs is the Lord. And what he's got to cling to is his faith in him. Because right here, when he's walking in this, when he's going through this, he's going to realize that I got to trust the Lord because this is crazy. I got to trust the Lord because I don't know what his plan is, but this doesn't make sense. And we have to do that in our own lives. We've got to come to a place where we can say, Lord, your plan doesn't make sense, but I know you've got one. I'm going to walk in my calling. I'm going to walk in obedience. And so he's at his most vulnerable time right now. And he begins to realize that in his nothingness, he has everything in the Lord. And so because of this, he truly has put, placed his, all of his faith in the Lord. Because to walk through this plan, you've got to have faith. And so he puts his faith in the Lord, and that then calls out obedience. Just like when you look at a tree, your faith is like a tree. And when it grows, if it's supposed to produce fruit, and it doesn't produce fruit, or the fruit is always bad, then you can realize that the tree is probably not healthy. But in the same way, if it's producing great plump fruit that is just super delicious, you're like, all right, this is a healthy tree. And so you see the, you see the fruit of your faith through your obedience. And so Gideon has to walk in obedience in this. And in uh, chapter 7, verses 19 through 21, it says this, and here's the plan being taken out. He's obedient in this right here. After the changing of the guard, it was midnight, and Gideon and the hundred men went with him re and the hundred men that went with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Remember, they're in a valley, and so they're looking down on them. And so they reached the edge of the Midianite camp, and suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they shouted, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. 
And each man stood in his position around the camp, and they watched as God's plan began to unfold. And they see the Midianites rushed around into panic, shouting as they ran and tried to escape. And when the 300 Israelites blew their horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. So Gideon this moment is looking down like, okay, Lord, okay. Like, what are you doing? You literally just made that guy kill that guy, and they were best friends two seconds ago. Like, it's like you hear the horn in the middle of your sleep, and these dudes just popped up and stabbed their neighbor. Like, it didn't make sense. But we look at this, and we go, God, you came through. Imagine that. Like you came through. And so many times in the Bible, we can look at different stories where God comes through every time. But when we then begin to, we look at that, we begin to analyze our life and we realize that we don't truly believe that. We, we think, all right, if I really walk in faith and obedience, is God actually gonna come through? We can look to scripture and see that every time he comes through. When he gives you a calling and you walk in faith and obedience, then he's gonna come through. But in our own lives, we have to come to a place where we can truly believe that. We can truly say, all right, I'm walking in faith. I'm walking in obedience right now. God, I don't see your plan, but I know you're going to come through. And we're going to step on that other side, just like Gideon. We're watching the valley of what has just happened. We go, God, you came through, and your plan was so perfect, and I could have never seen it, but you came through. And so we've got to come to a place where we can realize that we are equipped and we are called. Because when we begin to say, you know what, God, are you really going to come through? We're doubting what God has put on our life. We're doubting the calling he has given us. We're doubting what he says about us is true. And so when you don't walk in faith, when you don't walk in obedience, you don't believe that he's gonna come through, you're saying he's a liar. You're saying that he's not, that he's not what he says he is, that he's not gonna do what he says he will. So we've gotta come to a place where we truly understand like God comes through. We have to walk in faith and obedience. And so many times in the Bible do we see how this is unfolded. How ordinary people, how unqualified people, God chooses them to do extraordinary things. And as we look at the Bible, we see Noah. Noah was an outcast. He was different than everyone around him. So much so, he was the only family that God chose. And it says, but God, I mean, and we see that God saved the world through him. Abraham, he was too old. He didn't have a kid till he was 100 years old. I can't even imagine that. And yet the God raised the beginning of his people through Abraham. Jacob, he was a cheating deceiver on his own brother, his own brother, his twin brother too. And, and God named his people after Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel and therefore we have the Israelites. God used Jacob though he was a deceiving cheater. Joseph, he was abused. He was sold into slavery and put in prison, yet he was able to save his people from famine and he became second in the land, second in command in the land of Egypt. Moses, he had a speech impediment was a murderer and a wanted outlaw, yet he led his own people out of exile, out of the exile, I mean, out of the slavery and the bondage they had in Egypt. Rahab, she was a prostitute. Nobody would have respected her or honored her in her community, yet, yet, she saved her entire family from destruction, and she's in Christ's lineage. David, after an affair, he had an affair with his best friend's wife. Like, what a man, right? Like, had an affair with his best friend's wife, and then he goes and kills his best friend. Yet God, God used him to guide the Israelites and said that he was a man after his own heart. Elijah, he was depressed, and if you look at the scripture, you can see that he was possibly suicidal. Yet the Lord moved in the hearts of Israel to return to the Father. Ruth, she was a widow, but she showed the ultimate picture of love with Boaz. Jonah, he ran from the Lord as far as he could go, 
yet he saved an entire city from destruction. Peter, he denied Christ not once, not twice, but three times, yet he's known as the rock of the church. The Samaritan woman was divorced multiple times and was with a man she was not even married to, yet when the Lord worked in her life, she went back and told everybody about it. Lazarus, he was dead, but God said, ha, no, you're alive, and made him alive again. Paul was too religious. He persecuted Christians to the point of death. Yet he became one of the most influential men and missionaries in the Bible and did everything for the sake of Christ. And God used the old. A lot of people try to use that excuse that God can't use me anymore. I'm at at a plateau. I've done all these things. No, God still uses the old. God still uses those who have a past. God still uses those who have been through things. God uses the people who feel unqualified to do extraordinary things. But what's holding you back? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, what's holding you back? So I'm going to finish with the story. I began, I began this message with my Chloe moment. And right then, I vowed that I would never blow a moment in my life, no matter what it was, because I felt unqualified. I'm never going to come to a place where I'm going to blow something that I had because I felt unqualified. And so fast forward a lot of years from that, from eighth grade to sophomore year in college, and I go to Spotlight on Shawnee, which is an event that OBU hosts. It's where a bunch of churches and businesses come, and they try to say, hey, come work for us or bank with us or come to church with us. Really, the students don't care. They just want the free stuff. But I get there, and I get a brochure from Faithco, and it says ministry intern needed. And I knew that in the following summer, this is something I wanted to do because I, wanted to, I knew that God had called me to be a student pastor, and that's what I was going to do with my life. And so I knew that in the following year, I was going to be an intern. And so this was an opportunity. It was earlier than I expected, but it was an opportunity. And so I began to pray about it and really felt like the Lord was leading me to do so. And so I continued to seek information. I began to give him my application, and then I get a phone call. Or I, I call Pastor Travis, which if you don't know Pastor Travis and you've never met him before, you just hear him over the phone, kind of intimidating. And so, plus it was like, this is, this is possibly my future boss. This is where I want to be in my life. This is what I want to do with my life. And so this is my first boss I'm calling about student ministry. So I was terrified. So I get the interview. And I walk into the room, and I'm thinking, it's just going to be Pastor Travis, which was intimidating enough. But no, I walk in there, and there is five of them. Five people I'm interviewing with. And it was like God was slapping me in the face right there saying, hey, listen, this is what you're called to do. You're here right now, but it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to walk through some hard times. But let me tell you something. I nailed that interview. I nailed it. I nailed the interview. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm standing here right now in front of you and I'm preaching to you today. Right? And so when we walk in our calling, when we step in our calling, when we walk in that and we're, we're in faith and we're walking in obedience and we're trusting what God says, no matter if it doesn't seem clear, no matter if we can't see uh, the step in front of us, we're trusting him, we're walking in faith, walking in obedience, you see that God begins to work his plan. And he's not going to fail you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you stranded because if he gives you a calling, he's saying, listen, you're equipped. You're who I want. I've chose you and you are called to do this. So walk in faith, walk in obedience and move past your past. That doesn't hold you anymore. My son, he went and died so you don't have to be bound by your past anymore. Move past where you came from. My son died for you. You are my child. That's who you are. Move past your self-perspective. Who cares what the world says about you? Who cares what you believe about yourself? Listen to what I call you. Listen to what I say you are because that's what matters. You are all that I say you are. You are all. He is not a liar. 
He's not going to tell you something you're not. He's not going to put you in position somewhere you're not supposed to be. So walk in faith, walk in obedience. If you are there, then God has equipped you and God has called you. So we have to come to a place where we can move past feeling unqualified. God uses unqualified people all the time. All the time. And so as, as, we, as we go, as we go out of here, I want to challenge us. As we walk, there's some of us who are in a struggle. There's some of us who are in a trial. Maybe you're trying to follow God's calling, but you can't see the next step and you don't understand what's going on. You don't get it. I want to tell you, as we go out, let's walk in faith and obedience. Because what would happen if we truly surrendered everything, every facet of our life to him, walked in faith and obedience, where would we be in a year from now? Where would we be a month from now? Where would we be a week from now if we truly walked in faith and obedience and trusted that he was going to come through and knew that he was going to come through because he does every time. And so we've got to walk out of here knowing that the things of our past, where we came from, don't have to hold us back anymore. We can walk in faith and obedience and know that he's going to come through. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you are a God of second chances that you are a God who loves us so much you sent your son to die for us. Father, that you give us a hope and you give us a calling. And if we walk in faith and obedience, you're gonna come through. You're gonna be there every time. You're not gonna leave us. You're not gonna forsake us. You're not gonna turn your back on us. Father, help us to walk in faith and obedience. It's in Christ's name I pray. If you'll keep your heads down and your eyes closed. Maybe there's some of you here right now and you're, you're struggling. You see that God's plan is there. You know that the word says you should walk in it. You know that I'm sitting here and telling you that you should walk in faith obedience, but it doesn't necessarily make it any easier. And you're struggling. You can't see what's gonna happen tomorrow. You can't see what you're supposed to do. And you're struggling. You're at a place where, can I truly walk in faith and obedience? Is he truly in control? Am I truly supposed to continue in this path? And I wanna pray with you. And so if that's you, if you're at a place where you feel like you don't know what the next step is, where, where you're trying to walk in faith and obedience, but it is, it is hard, I want to pray with you. And so if, you, if you'll grab the hand of your loved one or grab the hand of a friend, I want you to grab them because you know you can do it together, that you both can walk in faith and obedience, that you both can move together in this and keep walking with the Lord together. And so let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, as we go out, Father, a lot of us are dealing with things that we're trying to find our calling or trying to get through an obstacle or trying to get through a struggle and we can't see past the storm. We can't see what you have for us. But God, let us walk in faith and obedience because when we get to the other side, we're gonna turn back and say, Father, only you can be glorified. Father, only you could do something as amazing as that. Father, let us know our story is not over and that our hope is found in you. It's in Christ's name I pray. I want to pray one more prayer if you keep your heads down, your eyes closed. Maybe there's some of you here who you're at a place in your life where you don't have a hope, you don't have a calling, your Lord, God is not the savior of your life. You don't have a relationship with him and you're going through something, you're going through a storm and you don't even know if you're going to make it through it and you feel like you've got nobody. I want to let you know that Jesus loves you so much. He cares for you so much that he 
gave his own life. The Father sent him, God sent him to give his own life so that you could have a hope, so that you could have a calling. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants you, he wants to give you the hope and calling. So if you're at a place today where you want to surrender your life to Christ, where you want to begin that relationship, when you want to see him transform your life and give you the hope and give you a calling, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or stand up. I'm going to ask you so that I know there's some who are serious. If you'll just slip your hand up and slip it back down. Just give a couple more moments. If you want to begin a relationship with Christ today, just slip your hand up and slip it back down. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love. Father, we are so grateful for the calling that you give us, that your word, we can hold fast to it, that our faith, we can cling to it, that when we have nothing, we have everything in you, Father. That when we face trials, we know that you're already working your plan and that you're right next to us. Father, let us go out and walk in faith and obedience and quit letting our past Quit letting what we've done hold us back. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.